super excited to share the last and final installment in a series, The Real Jesus. This is going to be unlike any sermon I've ever preached before, because I'm going to talk about how the real Jesus was and is a real human, and the real Jesus actually is a real physical body. We're going to talk about the plan and the desire that God has for your physical body. And I believe that this is going to be one of the most revelatory messages that you've heard. I'm going to really go deep through the scriptures because oftentimes as Christians, we forget that God has a plan for our body that is also eternal. And God has a plan for our physical body, just like he had a plan for Jesus' physical body. And so as we've been talking about the real Jesus and who he is every single Sunday, there's just something about this revelation that the Lord's been showing me, and it's a very new and very fresh revelation. And so we're going to jump right into the word today, and um, God is just going to speak something specifically to you. And I even believe that if you have loved ones that were in the faith and they have passed on, that you're going to get a revelation about their physical body. And I believe that this sermon is going to produce a lot of peace in your life. And it might very well be one of those messages that you carry with you through the entirety of your life. And you remember when you learned these things. So the Jesus of Nazareth was, Nazareth was fully human and he was fully God. And as you begin to look at his life, First John chapter 1, verse 1 says that those that saw and heard him, they touched and they shared life with him. And so he was a physical person born of the Virgin Mary that walked among humanity. And no one questioned his humanity during his ministry. So 2,000 years ago, not one person would have questioned the humanity of Jesus and here's the crazy thing. What was not apparent at first was that he was divine. So 100% of people who were encountering Jesus Christ as he was growing in, in this region, the Galilee, would have known and understood that he was actually a human being. The thing that he had to endeavor to convince them was that he also was 100% God. I believe that now we're living in the other end of the spectrum where now people uh, unanimously b understand him as Jesus, our Savior, Messiah, that he is 100% God, but we often forget that he also was 100% man. As a matter of fact, though, the first heresy that the early church ever struggled with was denying that Christ was actually human. And so I believe we've come back to that point and when you think about heresy, what is heresy? It's teaching that's outside of orthodoxy. It's teaching that's outside of the fundamentals of the faith. And so the early church struggled because, again, remember, Jesus died. Three days later was resurrected, and then he bodily ascended to heaven. And so he was a resurrected, glorified body, but that body physically still bore the scars of the crucifixion. And then that physical body, it was 40 days after his resurrection, ascended to heaven. You know, we're only right now about two and a half weeks outside of Easter, you know, and it's incredibly uh, perplexing to think about the fact that Jesus, if we could rewind the clock, would still be walking around. <laughs> Isn't that crazy to think about? I mean, for 40 days, he physically walked around, cooked a meal for his disciples. 
He actually encouraged Thomas to see the nail-scarred hands, and he was talking to people. And as a matter of fact, he's walking with them, and their hearts are burning as he's giving revelation, and he's teaching, all with a physical glorified body. And then he ascends to heaven, and he ascends to heaven. And so the first century church had never seen Jesus. They had never physically encountered him as people begin to die who had those encounters with the resurrected Jesus. And so the first heresy that the early church struggled with was denying that Christ was actually ever human. Second John verse seven says this. It's uh, chapter seven, verse seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there were people going around teaching that Jesus was not a physical flesh uh, human being. And, and in Second John chapter 7, verse 7, it says that there's many deceivers that have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a, a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And then in First John chapter 4, verse 2, it says, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So think about this. This is how you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There are people that are making YouTube videos. There are people who are lecturing in academia and college environments who are teaching that Jesus Christ never came in the flesh. And so we have to be careful because there are people that even Christians who reduce God to only a spirit. And I have to say reduce because we're going to unpack the power behind the revelation that he also was 100% man. Not only does the Son of God have a fully human body, but he also a fully human mind, a fully human heart, and a fully human will. And in your understanding of that, is the revelation of the true access of freedom that you have. So you have to understand, if you've ever wrestled in your mind, you have a human mind. And that human mind has a multi-generational legacy of all the toxic thoughts and traits and behaviors and characteristics and attributes and patterns of those who came before you genetically. But because Jesus was born of Mary... He also inherited a multi-generational legacy of toxic, limiting uh, 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 thoughts and behaviors and attributes on Mary's side, his mother's side. He also inherited that. He struggled in his mind. We see it in Gethsemane. He's wrestling. His Matter of fact, the thoughts of the warfare were so intense that it was like blood and water were actually coming out from his physical head. Because he was tormented and tortured thinking about his impending death and the sacrifice that was necessary. And it was, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man, meaning that there was a human struggle in his mind of, I know what I have to do, but it, this is an incredibly difficult thing. And it is like blood is coming out of my pores in anticipation of the thing that I have to do. And see, this 
This is why it's so important that you understand that everything, somebody say everything, everything that you're going through, Jesus Christ, he endured it perfectly. He responded perfectly. So to have a savior is not to have a deity God, only spirit that does not understand your affliction and your torment. To have a savior is to have a model of a leader who was fully perplexed, who felt like his mind was being crushed in every direction by the weight of the assignment of the cross and yet chose perfect even though he couldn't choose not to feel imperfect pain. Oh, that's such a revelation. It's that he felt anxiety. He could not feel anxiety because he was fully human. But he, it was his response to anxiety that gives us the ability to choose through the power of the cross a perfect response to anxiety. Oh, this is so rich. He had a fully human body. He had a fully human mind. He had a fully human heart and a fully human will. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's ample evidence that Jesus was fully human. He was born to a human mother. Matthew chapter 1, verse 25. He experienced human hunger. He had hunger pains in his stomach. Matthew chapter 21, verse 18. He grew physically tired. John chapter 4, verse 6. He got thirsty. John chapter 19, verse 28. He became physically weak. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Also, Jesus experienced physical temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. That means that that feeling that you have when you're like, I want to do it so bad. I want to, I want it all, that temptation, that desire, everything in me. When you start to premeditate and you start to imagine what would it be like to do it? How would it feel to do it? Oh, I want that, 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 that craving, that solicitation. Jesus was also tempted. Jesus experienced pain and suffering, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And listen, if you've ever been to a funeral, watched a loved one or a close friend die, Jesus experienced what your friend experienced, what your family experienced. Jesus also died. He also experienced physical death, Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. And here's the thing. But this is the good news. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, and he had a real human body after his resurrection. Had Jesus only been fully God, then he could never have been, um, had these human experiences. Let's talk a little bit about the human mind, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the human heart. And then I'm going to give you great hope at the end of this message because to serve a real Jesus is to serve a real human. To serve a real Jesus is to serve a real physical body of a human being named Christ the Messiah. And let's talk a little bit deeper about his human mind. Okay, the waters that we're stepping into now, we're going to go even deeper. Jesus had a human mind. We have only experienced one mind and simply cannot fathom what it would be uh, for like to have one person have both the mind of a human, but the mind divinely of God. But there's two key scriptures that will help us towards this truth. Jesus 
increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus Christ increased in wisdom. He increased in stature. He increased in favor with God and man. What made that possible is that he had the mind of God unlimited access to all knowledge. But he had a limited mind, the mind of a human that was born of a virgin Mary. Therefore, his human mind had to increase in wisdom, even though he had unlimited access divinely to wisdom. Follow with me, because this is going to, no pun intended, but be mind-blowing. Jesus increased in wisdom. Okay, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So there is going to be a return of Christ And Jesus himself in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, said concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Wait a second. This is confusing. No, it's not. It's paradoxical. And this is a paradox that we live in as Christians. And Christ demonstrated the same paradox. A paradox is when two things can be true at the same time. Is, is scriptures plainly affirm that Jesus both knows all things as God and doesn't know all things as man. For this unique, two-natured, singular person of Christ, there is no contradiction but a peculiar glory of this God-man, Jesus Christ. So here's, here's your reality When you accepted Christ as your Savior and were regenerated in your spirit, you received the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of your spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. So you have access to all knowledge, but also you live in the paradox of a limiting brain that that cannot and does not know and understand all things. And so what does that mean? You must trust God because his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You must rely on God. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And so Jesus living in this paradox of growing in wisdom and stature, yet having access to all wisdom is showing that he had to learn how to trust God in a fallen world. He had to learn how to lean on God. He had to learn, even though he was God, the human part of him had to lean on God. And so who are you to think you could figure it out? Who are you to think you can do it on your own? Who are you? We have to learn reliance. And so there's something about our human mind. It's a beautiful, wonderful blessing. It's a privilege to have a human mind, but it also serves as a thorn because it's always in contradiction to the spiritual realm. So we must learn how to submit our mind. We must learn how to suppress our mind. We must learn how to force the thoughts of our, uh, of our human mind into spiritual heavenly thoughts. We must learn how to renew our mind because our mind wakes up every day with a predisposition towards sin and, and failure. But Jesus didn't just have a human mind. He had a human heart. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus clearly displays human emotions. And it can be very confusing to those who don't understand that he had a human heart. Did you know that the, that the 
The fibers of your heart are partly made of neurons. As a matter of fact, there are neurons just like your brain, but also in the human heart. There's an intuition. This is science. People say, I felt something in my heart. People say, there's a connection that I have in my heart. Did you know that there's neurons located in your gut? There's neuron cells located in your heart as well as your brain. I believe it's, it's important to understand this. Jesus displays human emotions. Here it begins a a little bit more difficult to understand. When Jesus heard the centurion's word of faith, it said in Matthew chapter 8 verse 10, he marveled. What? How could you cause Jesus to marvel if he's 100% God? Nothing could take God by surprise. But because Jesus is 100% human, this is a revelation. He marveled. It was the human part of him that said, wow, I know how hard it is to sow finances. I know how hard it is to give generously. I know how hard it is to tell the good news. But Jesus marveled when he heard the centurion's words. It's because it's part of it is his acknowledgement of the human condition actually creates the ability to marvel when you compare it against the things of the spirit. Okay, he says in Matthew 26, 38, that his soul is very sorrowful even unto death. So he, he, that was a condition of his emotions. He's saying, there's something about my mind, the torment that I'm feeling. There's something about my heart, my emotions. It's, I'm so sorrowful. I feel like I even could die. We have a savior that if you've ever laid in your bed and said, man, I slept all night, but I want to stay in bed longer. If you've ever come home from a long day of work and said, I don't know if I can take care of my kids and serve my family. If you've ever been in that position where you're like, I feel like I could just die. The weight of sorrow is so heavy upon me. Jesus processed those same feelings through his soul as well. In John chapter 11, verse 33 through 35, Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and he's greatly troubled. So if you've ever just felt like, oh, I feel like I can't eat right now. I feel sick right now. Oh, I just heard this news. It makes me feel like I want to throw up. Jesus knows what it feels like to be greatly troubled. And then Jesus began to weep. He cried. See, watch. The divine nature of Jesus, he was 100% God, showed up with the ability to resurrect Lazarus. But the human part of Jesus, 100% human, begin to weep because it's still sad when your friend dies, even when you know there's a promise of resurrection. And so Jesus cries and he cries upon experiencing the, the, this thing. And, and this is why we have such a beautiful Savior. He doesn't tell us, don't cry, like stoicism. He doesn't tell us, don't cry, just process the moment, like the philosophies of Eastern religions. He doesn't tell us to live in grief and live in sorrow like some would do. But he says, experience it, experience mourning, give yourself the ability to process, but also understand that you've been given resurrection power. And so the human heart of Jesus shows us that it's okay to cry, but we ought not create a cycle of grief. 
It's okay to be troubled, but we ought not give ourselves to anxiety. It's okay to experience these different things, but it's to go through us, not to actually become part of our identity. The author to the book of Hebrews writes in Hebrew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and with tears. That means that Jesus, if he would have been in V1 church, you would hear him crying out loudly and he would be praying and tears would be coming down. Think about the times that you've prayed and you didn't know what else to say and you begin to cry out to God and tears came out of your eyes and you begin to weep. Jesus does this. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter five, verse seven, that he does this. This is a mind-blowing revelation. And here's the thing, when he ascended to heaven, oh, I love to think about this. Because in Acts chapter 1, it says that he ascended to heaven. And I never thought about this until preparing for this sermon. But a human being lives in heaven. A human being, not a spirit. He's not just a spirit, but seated at the right hand of the Father is Mary's son with a glorified body, but a human body, with a human heart and a human mind. He's still feeling our pains. He's still experiencing it. He knows he can reference back the memory when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, looking at his nail-scarred hands, when he touches and feels his side that was pierced. He's saying, I'm still praying for you. I'm still crying out for you with this same physical body that went through the torment of the cross. I'm still my vocal cords, the same one that caused the sick to be healed, the same one that did the work of deliverance, the same mouth, the same tongue, the same teeth are in heaven crying out for us, saying, I'm still praying for you. The Bible says that there's an intercession that still happens. And so in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses encountered God in the burning bush, God declared to Moses, I am that I am. And then when God took on flesh, it says that Jesus also, the divine, said, I am on several occasions. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. When you experience physical hunger, be be fed by my body. Feast on my body every time you take communion. He said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8 verse 12. When it feels dark, when you're anxiety ridden, when it feels like there's another impending doom, when it feels like the politicians are engineering our own demise, when it feels like the multinational food industry is poisoning us, when it feels like everything is being orchestrated to take us out, and it feels like the world is growing darker, he declares, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8 verse 23 he said I am from above in John chapter 8 verse 24 he said I am he in a world that is confused about who God is and who's coming to save us he's still shouting I am he in John chapter 8 verse 58 he says before Abraham was I am and so those who are caught up in the in the religion of Islam the descendants of Abraham and 
and Jacob and Isaac. He says, before Abraham, I am he, the one, the Savior Messiah. In John chapter 10, verse 7, he said, I am the door of the sheep. And we need that promise in a world full of fallen pastors. When he says, come unto me, all of you who are heavy burdened and laden, and I will give you rest. I am the door of the sheep. He says this in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. That means he's still leading us no matter like sheep, how dumb we can be like sheep, how easily we get led into temptation like sheep, how easily we get victimized by wolves like sheep, how easily we find ourselves being caught up in the fowler snare. He says, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. There is no resurrection through science. You can try CRISPR. You can try AI. There is no other resurrection than other than Jesus Christ. And see, this is what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way I am the truth in a world full of lies, and I am the life. On the other side of the wall, yeah, I can hear the music thumping. Here it is. Here it is in the Sunday morning, and they're still partying, thinking that life is loud music and the ecstasy of drugs, that life is sex that they might have if they can take someone home on the other side of this venue. But Jesus is still declaring, I am life. There is no life apart from Jesus. And then he says in John chapter, I feel the anointing and the power of God. In John chapter 14, verse 11, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And in John chapter 15, verse 5, I wish you'd jump up to your feet right now if you believe it. He said, I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's time for you to get grafted into the vine. It's time for you to connect your life into Jesus. It's time for you to hold his hand through the Holy Spirit right now. It's time for you to be empowered. He says, with a glorified physical body still bearing the scars of the cross in front of his apostles in Acts chapter 1. He says, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. But after the Holy Spirit, my spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And I'm here to tell somebody today that Jesus in a glorified body is seated at the right hand of the Father. But if you will receive his Holy Spirit, you will receive power to be his witnesses and you could say to those who are dead come up and out of that grave and they'll be resurrected you could say to those who are bound by demons you could say to legion come out of legion and they come out you can say to those who have incurable diseases by medical science be cured in Jesus name and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of you the Bible says by the finger of God he does deliverance and so it's that same finger that begins to reach into the soul of somebody who's bound by anxiety and fear and begins to drive those demons out. And that is why we serve the I am. But he's not the I am of the Old Testament. He's not the I am of the New Testament. He's the Alpha and the Omega.
Omega. He always was and he will always be. And there is no one or nothing that can stop him, even if they deny him. And so keep on inviting your friends to V1 Church. Keep on inviting your friends to the presence of God. Keep on preaching the gospel. But whether they deny him or accept him, they will bow to him because he's the I am. Whether they believe it or don't believe it, they will see it with their own eyes upon the great white throne judgment because he is the I am that I am. So I don't know about you, but it's been since Easter and we have taken a journey through scripture and I don't need any more convincing. I've already seen too much. I know what Jesus can do with a broken life. I know what Jesus can do with a drug addict. I know what Jesus can do with a prostitute and a pimp. I know what Jesus can do with the demonized. I know what Jesus can do with those who are laid up in their bed sick. And I say, Jesus, have your way in my life. Have your way in our church. And guys, we are going to be the kind of church that serves him with all of our might, all of our heart, all of our ability. If he can go to Gethsemane and not sin, you can go to Gethsemane and not sin. If he could be tempted sexually and not fall sexually, you could be tempted sexually and not fall. If he could be tempted by Pharisees and religious leaders and never deviate off the supernatural, you could be surrounded by false teachers and heretics and never be led astray. Because Jesus was the real Jesus, you can be a real son. You can be a real daughter. You can be a real minister. You can be a real father. You can be a real mother. You can be a real teacher. You can be a real doctor. Whatever God has called you to be, you get to be the real thing because he was the real thing. I wish somebody would take 20 seconds right now all around the world and shout unto God.